Praise God. Good morning, everybody. If you'd like to turn to Matthew's Gospel in chapter 2 a moment, the story of, of the Magi. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 2, verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. I want to just stop there a moment. I've got another scripture in Matthew I want to look at, but before we went on our trip, if you remember, we were looking at planets and stars. Remember that? And seeing how in the book of Genesis, who set the stars in their place? God God Almighty, right at the beginning of the book, right? It's like page two of your Bible. So it's important. God says, I myself have put stars in the sky, the constellations, the moon, and the sun. These things will be a warning to you. These things will be a sign to you. Now, we have a huge problem, I think, really, within the bulk of Pentecostal believers, and that problem is a severe disrespect of this fact. A great disrespect. We study biblical prophecy. We'll look at eschatology, as they call it. But I, 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 to be honest with you, to be very honest with you, off-the-record sort of thing, I think there's going to be some pretty good signs in the sky coming up. Jesus said before he returned that many people would be saying to you that it's the end of the world, right? He said they're going to say it's the end of the world here. They're going to say it's the end of the world there. What's the guy in New York? Harold Kampman, right? He said it was the end of the world, what, about six months ago, wasn't it? That was absolutely huge. I happened to be in the, the States at that time. I was in Baltimore. Uh, sorry, that was his previous <laughs> prediction. He was wrong then as well. We were in Baltimore and, and with Ed Michaels, and I remember driving in from the airport, and there was billboards and buses, and everything was... I mean, the amount of money spent to tell everybody that the world was ending. I remember saying to Ed, heavens above, look at the expenditure. Everywhere you look, the world is going to end on April, whatever it was, you know. And then the day came and went. And then about six months ago, it was the same thing. Same problem. He was wrong then again. And then last week, right? Who was that? The Mayans. So I'm just saying, folks, we really are seeing biblical prophecy at an alarming rate come to pass, right? It's, it's, it's very quick. These, I like the Magi, because these were guys who really knew what was happening. They had studied the Scriptures, but not only the Scriptures, they had looked at astronomy, and they had been humble enough to accept the fact that eclipses were important, that a blood moon was important, and, and I think we need to be too. So why are all these things happening? Answer, to lull you into a false sense of security. That's why. Remember I told you about the explosion, the bomb that killed three people in the street that I grew up in. There, there was a hotel, a major hotel actually, at the end of our street. But before they, before they blew that hotel up, 
we had months of phone calls where the, the army would come and knock your door and everybody had to get out. The terrorists know what they're doing. They would ring up and say there's a bomb in the building and we all have to leave the street. There's no bomb. And then they ring up, there's a bomb in the building. There's no bomb. Then they ring up the bomb, and there's no bomb. And then you know what's coming, don't you? The bomb. And so our next door neighbor was blown to pieces, actually outside our door. And three people killed that night. I'll never forget it. It's kind of a wake-up call. Very effective it is. And so what's happening right now is the population of the world is being lulled into a false security, and they're beginning to think, do you know what? Anybody who says it's the end of the world, do you know what? They're a crackpot. And sooner or later, the, the Antichrist will emerge, probably pretty soon, and we will start to see the signs more clearly than they have ever been you know, portrayed before. And we're going to start to not put dates and times, I don't believe that, but we're going to start to say, folks, you know, this is the real McCoy. This is it. This is the end. And we will be no doubt ridiculed for that. I just say, it, it, we call it the Christmas story. Fine, no problem. But you and I need to be like the Magi. Amen? People who know the days, the times in which we live. Now, this week, because of the stuff we did on Santa and Christmas and all that, right? Because of that, I was determined not just to go through the rigmarole of Christmas and not just to do the normal Christmas stuff. And I, I sought God this week, and it doesn't take very long, I can tell you, God's keen to speak. And I felt, you know, God, what do you, what do you want to do? You weren't born next week. <laughs> you were born in September, you know? And so I put away all false festivals and pagan feasts. And I ask you, this Christmas time, what do you want to say to the people? And I felt God wanted to talk about prayer today. Your prayer life. Now, I've talked loads about prayer in this church, and we are not bad on a scale of one to ten, you know. As a church, we'd probably score three or four. That's good. That's good. Most churches won't get past zero. Okay? But we've got an enormously long, long, long way to go. We were recounting. Actually, I got shocked. <laughs> we were counting the number of pastors that started out years ago when we started out in ministry. And we were counting the guys who are gone. I, you know, I got shocked at the number. We racked up a lot of men, a lot of guys. He went here, he's left ministry, he's left the ministry, he's left the, And it just went on and on and kind of haven't done that in a while. And we're still here. But I've got a problem. You know? <laughs> because most of those men, a lot more godly than me, you're supposed to say, no, come on, come on, come on. One person? No. Most of those men are a darn sight more godly than I am but not one of them prays as much as I do. Not one of them, because I pray. And that one factor, that one you know, bit of continuity, just prayer, has been enough to sustain us through ups and downs, through attacks that have destroyed others, through umpteen different things that come to wipe you out of ministry. The one factor, 
was prayer. I believe that with all my heart. And as Everson did on Friday night, that we were saluting our parents, and I, I'll talk about it in a moment, but I salute my father for, for bringing me up that way. Look at Matthew's Gospel, chapter 26. Matthew's Gospel, 26 and verse 14. Matthew's Gospel, 26 and verse 14. Then Jesus returned. Then he returned to his disciples, and he found them sleeping. Couldn't you keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Now, we looked at that scripture for, for a considerable amount of time, and I would suggest to you, please listen, everybody. Listen very closely. I would suggest to you that God is saying to you that the minimum level of commitment in your prayer life is how much time a day? One hour. The minimum basic, if you are serious about your Christian life, if you intend for it to be stable, okay, to get continuity into it and growth into it, the minimum level is one hour per day. Can you not even manage one hour, he says? And that, he says to Peter, heaven help us. Pretty strong stuff. A leader, he says. The leader of the apostles here. Terrible. I mean, if Peter's in that state, to be honest with you, the church is not great. Church is, is, is not fantastic on prayer as a whole, globally, or we wouldn't be seeing the world in the mess it's in. Prayer is, is, is fundamental, to say the least. The facts are, folks, the average Christian, they estimate prays for around five minutes a day. And that's probably on the way to work or, or whatever. But, I mean, Jeanette, if I said to you, for the rest of our lives, I'm going to spend five minutes a day with you. Not going to have much of a marriage. Some of the wives would shout hallelujah there. Eh? <laughs> You're not going to have much of a marriage. I'm not going to know her. I'm not going to understand her. I'm not, I'm not going to know what's going on. Okay? Five minutes a day just simply won't do it. It won't. You're not going to build a relationship with God. You're not going to be stable. You certainly will not mature. And I guarantee you, when you're reading scriptures, they're not going to open up. They're not going to be alive. Because that stuff takes time. That's, it takes time. There's no two ways about it. I thank God. I was, you know, twice in the last couple of years, we've been completely skint. Completely skint and needed finance today, right? Both occasions, we got finance in the same day. Both occasions. One was about a year and a half ago, and I sat Jeanette down in her room, and I said, we need money, we need money now. Stay there, I'm going upstairs. Just wait and con connect with God. I went upstairs, and I sat, not, not praying as such, complete silence, I need you to move now. You just wait. And I waited, I waited until I felt free. I, I got it. I was about halfway down the stairs. My phone rang, and it was one of you, I won't say who, saying, I just had a word from God to give you 2,000 pounds. I'm sorry, I need to do this. I thought, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Good stuff, good stuff. And the other one was about, not long ago, Stefan and Estella, sorry for 
sharing that. But I got up that morning because we had absolutely nothing. And Stefan and Estella brought us in a gift and said, God told us to give you that. That morning, what did we do? We prayed. We prayed. I call them secret place prayers. You've got to be able to talk to your God. If you don't get answers from your God, there's nothing wrong with God. Amen. God's very well. There's something wrong with you. There's something blocking you. There's some wrong mentality, some wrong approach. Something's wrong. It's fundamental. Answers to prayers, it's fundamental to any normal Christian life. Do you agree? I think a Christian life that's praying prayers and not getting answers is a sickly Christian life. Something's broken. Something's wrong. You know, and, and you need to get very radical, very brutal and truthful with yourself, right? And, and families, you need to do it as a family, as a home, in order to see the type of answers that you know that God is so keen to give you and to bring into your life. The number one thing that people will say is, I haven't got time. An hour a day? You must be joking. No, I don't think he's joking. Not one person here doesn't have an hour a day, I guarantee you. There isn't one. You've got an hour a day. Trust me. You can get up earlier. You can go to bed later. You can do whatever you want, but you can get an hour a day. I saw President Obama walking his dog the other day, you know, boat, not in Glasgow, I mean, CNN, you know. If the President of the United States can find time to walk his dog, <laughs> believe me, you can, you can find that time. But if you're not finding the time, it really is daylight robbery. Okay? You're being ripped off and you've, you, you, you've bought into something that is a deception and you need to break it. God wants to talk to you today about your prayer life for next year. For you to think maybe very seriously about how things are going whether you're growing in intimacy and efficacy in your prayer life or not, okay? And just, just a few thoughts before we start. We forget all too easily. No wonder the Bible is peppered with examples of the power of prayer. But we forget all too easily how brilliant prayer is, how fantastic an open opportunity and invitation prayer is. And, and for example, first point, prayer can go to places that you can't go. And some of you are in other countries. Your mums, your dads are in other places. Or you see the crisis in Connecticut last week. You, even though you're not there, even though I'm not physically present in a place, the prayers I pray can travel and affect things, politics, wars, people. Now, that's just fantastic. Remember, Peter was in prison. Remember in the book of Acts? And what were the church doing? Praying in another place. Chains fall off, and the gates open wide, but they're not there. No, they don't need to be there. Prayers can affect anywhere in this world. And if we can grab that and believe that, 
It becomes awesome, powerful. You realize what a, what a mighty creature you are, what an awesome creature, and, and you know, the power that God has entrusted to you. There are many things that God has limited our reach. Remember this, Jeanette, when she broke her hip, they gave her this, remember? She was like Arnold Schwarzenegger walking around our house for a few weeks. But see, this is like prayer, if, if you like. So, for example, fiber, okay? Let's say your skin. Okay? Maybe it's healing. Okay. Just can't, can't get it. Maybe it's relational. A happy home. That's what it's for. And God has deliberately limited you. He broke Jacob's hip. Remember? Strange thing to do. Mm, not really. <laughs> broke your hip. So you go look, you see, just with a little, with, with the addition of prayer, you're through. Right? Makes all the difference. In, prayer gives you reach gives you reach beyond your natural ability. It will bridge the gap, okay? Not limited. I've seen some good and bad examples of this for me. When I was um, in my first couple of years in ministry, in fact, it was the first ministerial position I had. I was a full-time evangelist for a church, not a very good one, I have to say. And this was a Baptist church, and they had a big forecourt on a very busy road, an enclosed forecourt, but you could see in from the buses on the street, you know, and we were having an outreach this day, and I was in charge of it. So we're doing all this stuff, and all these people started to come in, and they had teas and coffees table, and it was going fine. People started smoking by the dozen. <laughs> they were smoking over here and smoking over there. And some of the leaders, really, they just couldn't hack that, you know? So they came over to me and said, you know, Michael, you need to tell the people they're not allowed to smoke in the church forecourt. You see? So I didn't know what to do. Oh, um, <laughs> they've just come in. Uh, I'm not sure what to do here. So I thought about it for a moment, and I said, uh, no, I'm not going to do that. Just leave them be, okay? And maybe next week or whatever, we'll put a sign up and say that. But for today, I'm just going to let it go. The two leaders didn't agree with me. And very politely, in a very dignified way, in a respectful way, they said, if it's okay with you, we're no longer going to continue today. We're going home. They weren't being nasty. I said, okay, no problem. And off they went home. Now, I remember this happened. I remember it. It shocked me. There was about 25 people on that forecourt. <laughs> and our members were amongst them. But guess what happened? Just like that. It's like they all stood up together. And you know, cigarettes out. And they all walked away at the same time. It was like exodus. And I, whew, that was odd. That was weird. Outreach, kaput. So I thought, okay, no problem. Sunday comes. And one of those leaders came walking, walking in on Sunday morning and said, we went home and we prayed that every person on that forecourt would get up and leave because it was a bad witness to the buses and you could, to the people sitting, and you couldn't see it. I thought, wow, I was wrong. I made a bad decision, you see. But it showed me, I, I, I was shocked by that because I saw the power of God. I saw the hand of God move against me there. I thought, I, I better watch my decisions here. That was a decision at that point, and in that context, you understand. God did not approve of what I did. 
and I saw God move on behalf of others, even though they weren't there. They were about a mile away from the church. And your prayers can affect situations, countries, people, relationships. I had a major contest recently. <laughs> won't say who. Had a major contest recently with an individual who was determined to argue with me and determined to fight with me and threw much bait my way. This, that, and the other, insult after insult, provocation after provocation, and you just got to hold your peace, you know? And I sat there, and you got to be different, haven't you? Can't treat people the way they treat you, can you? Can't do that. And it's very easy. It's cheap to give a smart answer, to give a quick answer. I didn't give any answer. I just said nothing. Instead, I was up all night, actually, in prayer. And I prayed, God, you've given me the grace, but that's okay. It's not about me. I want this person changed. I want the heart changed. I want the bitterness and the nastiness to be gone. And it's here, night and day, the next day, it was like, well, what, what happened? What happened? Change of mind, change of heart, change of attitude. And it was like from bitterness and nasty to sweetness and light. Prayer works. Prayer works. If you play by the rules, you know, remember the devil's tools and God's tools, remember? Don't touch the tools of bitterness or nastiness. And God answered that prayer that night, and I ended up with peace in a relationship. God can change hard hearts. And all of the, there wouldn't be a person in this room that doesn't have some relationship difficulty. Your boss, your neighbor, whoever, right? That's life. But God, if you bring prayer into those relationships and those situations you, and obey yourself, you know, and behave in a Christian manner within those relationships, you will see God move on your behalf. Today, this morning, is a reminder. It is a new year, a brand new year coming up. And very simple. But I think from God, if we could see it from God's perspective, you know, they, they say when they train you in pastoring, they say you've got two choices. You can either teach your people to pray and get them praying, or you can spend all your life in pastoral care running around trying to... It's so true! Because people who pray... Jesus will look after them. Problems will be dissolved in his presence. They will go in with issues and come out without them, or they can dump the issues on you. It's a very good point, a very true point. Okay? Now, as I say, I don't think we're too bad as a church in terms of prayer, but my fear is that we have in some ways turned the prayer, meeting, turned the prayer into a meeting. Friday night, 7.30. Fine, no problem. There's a place for prayer meetings. We've covered that. That's a very critical place. But prayer is not a meeting, right? We have a prayer meeting, but prayer is not a meeting. It's, it's a way of life. It's an all-day, everyday place of peace and, and, and contentment, if you like, with God. This is my eyesight, honestly. It's just getting worse and worse. Let's see this. Listen to this. You'll know this song. What a friend we have in Jesus what a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. 
Oh, anybody carrying sin weight? That's what the cross is for. Anybody carrying griefs? When Jeanette's mother got cancer, she was dying in our house. And she was terribly upset, very, very upset. I was looking at the mother, I was looking at Jeanette, and I prayed a private prayer out of my own, and I said, God, you're able to take the pain that's in her and give me some. I'll carry it. I'll take it. You can do that. I believe you can do this. No sooner had I said the words than the grief filled me. Grief. And I had not, both my parents were alive. I didn't know what grief was. Oh, wow, is that grief? And she was buoyant and sailed through her mother's death. What a friend you have in Jesus. All your sins and griefs and pains and sufferings to bear. But what a pain it is in the heart of Jesus when you don't give them to him. When he is able, he is capable, he is willing, he is ready and wanting and has paid the price on the cross for you. The problem is us, correct? The problem is us holding on to things that we don't need to. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what peace in our lives because we choose to be anxious rather than faith. You know, I see it two ways. You, I, you have a choice in life. You can either be full of faith, what am I going to say? <laughs> or full of fear. That's your choice. That's all of us. We're all in the same boat. It's either faith or fear. And for the faith bit, you need an active prayer life. It's your faith kindled, fired up, so that your prayers will work, and they're not just religious or a meeting. I, I've mentioned my father many, many times, but it would be inappropriate of, inappropriate of me not to mention him because he is the, the, the bedrock of everything that established me in my life in terms of prayer. He would leave our house at about uh, six o'clock. There was a convent up the road, and many of you are highly educated. My father had no education. Many of you are very smart. My father wasn't smart. <laughs> but spiritually, jump over your head, you see. I'd rather be wise than smart. He was very wise. Very wise, but not smart at all. Very wise. And deeply, deeply, deeply spiritual. So in that convent, he would go in, and there would be no one there, and he would just kneel down before God. You know, they say Wesley used to do the same thing, and just be in the presence of God. Now, we're in a war zone, remember? Belfast was bad in those days, with bombs and bullets everywhere. And he would be praying for us, like Job. God, would you keep them alive today? And, you know, many things happened. Twice I had a gun pointed at me as a child, just because of being stupid, doing crazy things. I was down a lane, I had a brick, you know? I'm just a boy playing games, and there's a piece of corrugated iron. So I lift up the brick, I thought, this is going to be fun. A bit like a Lumide, I'm going to make a lot of noise, you know? So I pick it up, and I, bang! What I didn't see was some British soldiers walking on the road outside the lane. One of the troops walked, he heard the bang. He didn't fire. 
And he walked down that lane to me and he said, what are you doing? And he killed you. Another time we were running, running with one of my sisters. Same sort of thing, ran into troops. They thought, you know, something was wrong. Same thing again. But when you have someone covering your back, very different story. When someone's looking after you. My sister went into a pub in Queen's University in Belfast. What was it called? The Club Bar. And she went in. They got their drinks. Choose a seat. Why don't we go behind the alcove over here? And just because she went behind that alcove, boom, bomb went off. But she lived, survived, just had her ears popped just because of a simple decision, because someone is praying for you. Somebody's covering you, okay? Don't underestimate it, folks. I don't give a hoot how smart you are. And I hope you don't either, because you're being deceived. You'll be as smart as you like and hopeless in terms of kingdom things. You understand? You understand? I thank God that you don't have to be smart to pray. In fact, Jesus alluded to the, to the fact that it's a, it can be a hindrance because he said the simple people, the uneducated people, it can be a hindrance to you. You don't have to be smart to get this right. It can be a hindrance. Be wise. Be wise. Count your day. Count your hours. And think of what's happening with your time and with your life. When we fast, I often think the very same thing. It's a great thing to think when you're, when you're fasting. I think to myself this, Jeanette, we ate yesterday. What did that gain? What good did that do us? Well, okay, a little bit of good maybe. What good did that do? And the day's gone. But we will fast today, and we will gain from fasting, gain spiritually, Right? So you be analytical. I, I, I would encourage you to be brutal with yourself. Be very honest with yourself about where you're at in your relationship with God. Are you hearing from Him? Regularly, I hope. You need to hear from Him, not through the pulpit here. I mean you, alone, at home, hearing from God. Not a second-hand word. I'm not passing a note to Pastor Tom to pass to my wife. No, no, no. It's not secondhand. It's you, yourself, personally hearing from God. I detest it, to be honest with you, but I, I detest it when altar calls are full and people come up and they say, have you got a word for me? Have you got a word for me, you know? God help us. What's wrong with you, huh? What's wrong with you hearing? What's wrong with you hearing personally, yourself? You shouldn't have to come to me. You should be coming to me telling me what God is doing, not, not asking me what God's saying to you. Where is your relationship, really? Where is your relationship, really? I don't want to get religious in these last days, in these last moments, but I want to be like the Magi and have my finger on the pulse, my eye on the sky, right? And just be ready. Do you know, I, I shared this before, you imagine the apostles following Jesus. He stills the storm. He raises the dead. He gives sight to the blind. And when he's done all that, what did they ask him? Teach us. Teach us how to pray. Not teach us how to raise the dead. Not teach us how to heal the blind. Not none of the stuff. They knew 
that Jesus had an intimacy with the Father that saw awesome power released in the earth. That's what they saw. And they knew the, the source, the root, the connection of all the power that we're seeing is found in prayer. It's found in the prayer. And if we get that peace, everything else will be automatic. Amen? Absolutely true. They saw it in Jesus. And so they went to him. Remember, folks, they did not say to Jesus, teach us a prayer. Because we have turned the Our Father into a prayer. Our Father right in heaven. That's not what they asked him for. They said, Lord, teach us how to. How to pray. Very different thing. Okay? And, and they, they, I can only imagine that there was something going on by way of a process in Jesus that they couldn't figure it. They knew he was doing something in his prayer life that they weren't, right? So they teach us, teach us how to do that, whatever that is you're doing. Now, his answer is your notes. His answer was to say this, remember? He gave them the Our Father. And the Our Father is not a prayer. The Our Father is the mechanism of prayer. It's how to pray. And one of the reasons, you know, we, we've dealt with this before, I know, as a church, many times, okay? But some of you are still struggling, and that's absolutely fine, no problem. But we need to get past it, amen? We all need to get past this. And this is where I ask you, please, to turn all your smarts off, <laughs> okay? Because you're going to have to be very childlike and very simple, because that's how this works. It works with great simplicity. Jesus gave them... Uh, see this. This is praying one hour. And someone will look at this and they'll say, very basic, isn't it? And that person, not praying. Very basic. I've read books far more complicated than that. <laughs> right, fine. Be careful. Be careful. The ABCs... Well, let me put it like this. Don't answer my question. Do you pray for an hour a day, for example? And I don't mean this as a guilt trip, just as an example. Do you? If I asked privately, the answer for many people here would be this. Well, Pastor Mike, I go and I pray for about four minutes and then I don't know what to say. Ah, that's why Jesus gave you that. That's why he gave the Our Father, because he was giving you a, a structure which is both a protocol and a structure, if you like. If you think there's no protocol in prayer, you are severely mistaken. We're talking about the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, a holy, holy, holy God. And if you think there's no protocol here, you are severely wrong, and you're not going to have any life in that prayer. In the wee small hours of this morning, when you were all fast asleep, I was giving her communion over in that other building, on our knees, praying for you, and for this word to penetrate you, why do we have communion? Because there's a protocol with a holy God. That's why. There is a way to enter the presence of God. Not slap happy, lackadaisical. He's still a holy God today and always will be. That ain't going to change, Mr. Pentecostal. It ain't going to change. You've got to change. You've got to know the God you serve. Know the God you serve. Understand his power. Understand his awesome, everlasting nature. He's an awesome God. So don't bring him down, or you will truly be talking to the wall. 
And you're not going to pray for an hour to the wall. Are you with me? What keeps you in prayer is the knowledge that you're talking to God. What keeps you in the presence is because I know you hear me. I know I'm in your presence. I know this is a dialogue, not a monologue. And until you respect the basics, the ABCs, because that's where you're at, that's where I'm at, this never changes. You will not enter. And if you don't enter, you won't abide. And you're going to get bored, you're going to think nothing's happening, you're correct. Because you can't enter his presence with sin, right? If you regard iniquity in your heart, God does not hear your prayer. So Jesus gave this as a whole process. Lord, teach us, teach us how to pray. Teach us what you're doing. So if I can use this like a clock face, he took them around our Father who art in heaven, hallowed worship and thanksgiving was the place of beginning. As they en- I-, I will enter his courts with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his gates with praise on my lips. So there's your, one of the keys, not the only key. There's one of you, there's your first step. Be quiet a minute. I believe in shopping lists because Jesus told us to bring before him You know, people say, don't go before God with a shopping list. Completely wrong. You should bring a list. You should have a target of things to pray for. But it's not the place to start. Amen. The place to start is in thanksgiving, in praise for all he has done. And then the next thing, he began to confess. And that's why we have communion. That's why. Because I don't know, God, have I done anything wrong in the last, you know, 10 hours or whatever it is? Then bless me, forgive me, cleanse me. So these are 10-minute segments, if you like, taking you up to one hour. Illumide, you may need to spend more than 10 minutes in confession. We all understand that. Praise (laughs) the Lord. When you go into confession, you think and work your way through the last 24 hours or whatever. Your thoughts, your deeds, your motives, your attitudes. Now you see... (laughs) If you do that, you're already about 20 minutes gone and you haven't even started yet. You understand me? And what's happening in that time is you're starting to soak in the presence of God. Suddenly, I'm not spending five minutes with you. I'm actually very naturally, because I have thanked God, I have cleansed myself. Now, all of a sudden, God's present and time doesn't have fly. All of a sudden, I'm actually in the presence of God and that's completely different. Now, and this is, I believe, God's point really for today, these sections here. Now I'm getting ready to actually be useful in the kingdom and to carry out his will when something's happening in the earth. And goodness knows there's plenty happening. I can be ready for intercession and supplication. Sujith, come, please. Okay, so. Just stand there, okay? You're the devil, (laughs) and you're God, and I'm you, okay? I'm you. Just imagine this is you, and you're going through life. I mentioned to you that my father was up at 6 o'clock. I used to get up at 6.15, but there was somebody up before both of us, Satan, okay? Long before you, ready plan to pull down your day. Tell me I'm useless. 
don't smile at me when you do it. <laughs> You're Satan, remember? That's no good. Okay. You're useless. You're, useless. You're still smiling. <laughs> okay. You're not going to get through the audition. Here, switch it. Okay. You're useless. It's getting better. Okay, okay, good. Now, um, you're going nowhere. You're going nowhere. You're awful. I hate you. I hate you. God hates you. God hates you. I don't hate you. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> you're off. You're not awful. You're awesome. I love you. <laughs> <laughs> now, look, this is you. You wake up in the morning. And it's mind games. Paul calls them mind games. Mind games, right? Strongholds in the mind. Listen, you have a problem here. You've got a decision to make. Who am I going to agree with? I love you. Come on, go to bed. Five more minutes. <laughs> that, he's a good devil. Okay. Do you know what? There's, with the three-way situation here, someone has the casting vote. It's not you. And it's not you. The casting vote is me. Do you know what? I am awful. What was it you said? Just five minutes. Do you know what? I think he's right. I think the power give me a, of agreement. I've got the power of agreement. If I agree with him, this becomes my reality. This becomes my mindset, my world. I have agreed with the devil and now he has power. Just like Adam in the Garden of Eden. He agreed with Satan and then he fell. So I've got a decision. You've got a decision every day. But you've got to be aware of it. You've got to be conscious of the constant battlefield of the mind, which is trying to pull me. Every precious promise that God gives you will be challenged by the devil. Whispers in your ear to pull you away. And I've got to constantly walk. You must get up every day with a mindset that I agree with my God. I agree with his word. So you tell me I'm sick? You are sick. Mm? You are healthy. You are lost. You are found. <laughs> See? You will have a tug of war in every department of your life, and you need to get a habit, a healthy habit, of putting your foot the right way. Now, that's my life, but then the problem comes when I'm stupid. I don't pray. I listen to the devil. Agnes, come. Remember? You have, you have no authority to address the devil, you know. The book of Jude tells us you don't address the devil directly, but you come over here. An intercessor stands between who? God, forget him. They go to, you, I'm not praying. I'm backslidden. I've lost my relationship. You stand there, just here, love. Lift your hands and don't pray to um, Kahiso, but pray to God. You know what I mean? And she's praying for me. She's praying for me. Remember what we said about prayer? Her prayers have the power to change my mind. So she prays, she prays. I'm listening, and all of a sudden, I start to feel different. I think, what am I doing? Why am I listening to you? Her prayers affect me. They change my mind. And I turn. Thank you, Agnes. I turn and I start to listen. That's the intercessor. Okay? And God is looking for vessels, for people to use in the earth. Thank you, guys. 
God is looking for people to use in the earth who will, do you know what, it, it, um, Nehemiah, stand in the gap. That's what it's called in Scripture. Someone who will stand in the gap. Now, there is nothing in heaven or on earth that will invigorate your prayer life more than knowing that God has put a word in your heart for something. It will, it's like plugging in something that's electric. All of a sudden, there's prayer, there, there, there's power running through your prayer life because you've got a target, right? The, oh, the gift of intercession, powerful and wonderful thing. So here we go into 2013. Question, don't answer. Who are you interceding for? For whom are you currently standing in the gap? You need to do it consciously, right? We need to know what we're doing and why. Go before God and uncover people for salvation and for prayer. Where are you in this tug of war that takes place? Every day, that's the, 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 the job of the devil, if you like. So very simple this morning, very basic but very important. As we cross over, and I believe New Year's are very important, you know, they're big events, really. It's a new time, a new day. And I believe God prompted me to talk to you about your prayer life. How is it, really? How are you getting on? You don't know what you're missing. You don't know what you're missing. But you're going to have to come the same route. Start by thanking him. I've mentioned our son many times to you. I can't say no to James. <laughs> no matter what he asks us for, simply because of one thing. What is it? Gratitude. The boy is just a grateful boy. He's grateful for everything. A grateful child, you bless. You bless a grateful child. You, you give the child more than they asked for because they're grateful. So don't get presumptuous about entering the presence of God, but think about the blessings. Count your blessings. And thank him. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for seeing me through another year. Thank you for seeing me through another day. As, in fact, the Lumidae, as you prayed, I thought it was a great prayer. I'd never heard such a prayer when he was here. He, he went through the organs of his body. God, I, I thank you for my ears. I thank you for my eyes. I thank you for my lungs. That's a great prayer, isn't it? That's a great prayer. Well, if you see someone with no, no eyes, you understand the prayer. God, thank you. I never thought to, to thank you for my physical body and everything that you've given me. I worship you, Lord, for being so kind. Enter his gates with thanksgiving in your heart. Confess your sins and get that. Don't move until you know that you're actually in a dialogue, until you know you're in communication. And then God can start to put those issues of intercession. Pray for this person. Pray for that situation. And suddenly, believe me, an hour is, you can't get started. If you, if you get those points right and you move correctly into prayer, prayer becomes invigorating, becomes a joy, not anything laborsome, and time becomes irrelevant. But I think that you are stuck on the process. There is protocol with your God. There is protocol with entering the presence of a king. This protocol is not going to go anywhere. It isn't going to change. We just sang it. 
You're the God who He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. This protocol will not change. I just don't have, I don't have to understand it. I just have to obey it. So I accept these principles. I will operate these principles, and these principles work, and they will work for you. Take it home. Stick it on your fridge or somewhere where you're going to see it. Memorize it. And then when you go into prayer, we're not looking for a prayer. They didn't say, God, teach us a prayer. They said, Lord, teach us how to get into the presence of God with dialogue. Worship team, can you come back? And why don't we do exactly that as we cross over from one year to the next? Leanne, could you sing that penultimate song that you sang there? Let's just stand a moment. I want you to close your eyes. And just think of the many, 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 many things that you need to be grateful for. God, I thank you for new mercy. Thank you for my brothers and sisters around me that we're not alone. And God, as things heat up in the world, we're going to need each other more and more and more. And I pray you would knit us together, bind us together in love for each other. I thank you for all that you've done in our lives, in my life, I thank you for everything, Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you.